It is true, Father, we do not know why you why you poured your grace out on us other than it is your will and to the praise of your glorious grace. We don't know exactly how we received the Spirit other than uh, you, you gave us your Spirit and it caused us to believe. We, we know that your Spirit moves. We cannot see Him. We do not know how that works, but we know it is true. The Spirit moves. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would move today and that in your kindness you would even quicken a soul, cause one to believe. Father, for us who who you have adopted into your family. May we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we would we rejoice even more greatly than we did before. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests, there is a theological or doctrinal term, eschatology comes from two words, eschatos, which means last things, and logi, or the study of. So it's the study of last things, or the study of end times. There's three major eschatological, or eschatological, depending on who you talk to, views. There is premillennialism, which is broken down into... uh, two categories, historical premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism. And then you have something called amillennialism and you have something called postmillennialism. Those are all eschatological views. And they all have to do with the reign of Christ. And there's the word, the word where, well, it's not even this word, it's a Greek word for 1,000 that we see in Revelation chapter 20. And that's where this concept or this this word comes from. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on the, or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So, thousand years is a millennium, and that's where we get this millennial conversation. Now, uh, the question is, is that thousand years figurative or literal? That's one of the many questions that come in to eschatology. And and if it is literal, uh, 
when will Christ return in relationship to that millennium? Will it be uh, the church age and then return of Christ and eternity? Or will it be uh, the church age and then the millennium and then Christ's return and then eternity? Or what will it look like? It is a... uh, um, it is a very, um, there is lots to this topic. Uh, you know, the Bible, you could argue, is all eschatological. Uh, and yet, this is really the only place it talks about this millennium. And in church history, there's been lots of different views about these different eschatological positions. Uh There is no such thing as a Baptist eschatological position or a Presbyterian eschatological position. Uh, It is is a guy like R.C. Sproul would claim that he's landed like a butterfly on all three. I believe he died as an amillennial, but I think he was all over the place. Um, So it's not something that... here's Here's what the elders of Grace Fellowship Church, here's what we believe. Christ is coming back a second time in glory to judge the living and the dead. That the final judgment will occur after the resurrection of everyone from the dead. Some of those to everlasting life and some of those to everlasting death. There is a literal heaven and hell. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the end, there will be, that will be the end of death for believers and the immortality of the soul. So that's that's what we believe. That's very general belief in Christendom. Those things would be true of all these millennial positions. And we don't believe it's imperative for an individual or a church to have an eschatological position. Um, that does not mean studying about Christ's return is something we ought not do. We ought to study our Bibles. But it's not necessary for us to have that position. Um, Eschatological views or eschatology is not uh, essential for how we live our Christian lives. And quite frankly, what I want to say about that is when an eschatological view changes how you live your Christian life, you should be careful on that eschatological view. Uh, I, I'm not against any of those, personally against any of those views necessarily, although dispensational premillennialism would be something I would have a very hard time affirming much of. But uh, I, 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 myself, if you make me pick, I'll pick amillennial. Again, these aren't even biblical words. They aren't even... Uh, uh, concepts that that are named in the scriptures, and I'm you know the elders we talk about this. We're, we're very pleased, very very pleased how we imperfectly in this church live out uh, the 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 urgency of the gospel and and the necessity of of. Um, raising our families and our children and being involved in our communities. We're comfortable with that. 
what we what we guard against is es- what I would call hyper eschatological views that lead to a wrong focus. And that's what we are concerned about. That's what we try to teach against and speak against is eschatological views that cause the living out of the Christian life to be something different than gospel centered and uh, pursuit of holiness in the life of a Christian and as far as we're concerned the direction of our family and how we live out our lives which then flows out to the community and flows out everywhere else so if you're hung up on or thinking about or concerned about an eschatological view um, we would encourage you not to be concerned about it Christ is going to come back in glory to judge both the living and the dead. That final judgment will occur after the resurrection of everyone. And some will be judged to everlasting life and some will be judged to everlasting torment, death. There is a literal heaven and a literal hell. And the There will be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be no more death for believers and our souls will live forever. And that's what we believe. And no one, if you disagree with any of those things, we should talk. But beyond that, uh, it's something we'll continue to discuss and think about, I'm sure. But it's nothing that we have any imminent plans to have a position upon as a church. We don't think that's wise or necessary or good. Okay, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 will be in verses 21 through 24, where we will look at Jesus' Spirit-led exaltation. So please stand, and I will read these verses. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. You may be seated. This this passage starts out with, in that same hour, or in some translations, at that very time. So, what very time? Let's bring us back to where we've been, so we can get our minds back to where we are. Remember that Jesus had sent out the 70, and he had sent them out to uh, be uh, be make paving the way for him to tell people of his coming. Uh, This is after not being allowed into Samaria. This is into Perea and Judea. And they go out and they're, it's urgent. They're supposed to go out. No money, no knapsacks. Go out. Don't, don't, not a lot of conversations. Go and proclaim Christ is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he, he gave them, um, uh, he gave them uh, power uh, to heal. 
Now they go out and they come back and they actually not only healed, they also were able to uh, have demons listen to them uh, when they would proclaim Christ. And so, verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. They came back and they were so excited because, because even the demons would, were subject to them, hupotasso, they would place themselves under the authority of, of these 70 as they would proclaim the name of Jesus. Even the demons would be subject to them. And he said, look, I'm not surprised. <laughs> you shouldn't be surprised. I've given you power over them. You have victory over them. But he says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice that you had power over demons. That's not what you ought to be rejoicing in. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in. What you should be rejoicing over, Jesus says to these 70, is that your names are written in heaven. Don't don't have joy over your temporal, earthly successes in ministry. Don't have joy over that you came back and weren't beaten or, 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 or imprisoned or you had no real pushback to you on this short missionary journey. That's not what you should take joy in. What you should take joy in is that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that you are going to be in glory. That's what you should be rejoicing in. So in that same hour, so right then in that time, as as he was telling them this, where they ought to, what they ought to actually be rejoicing over you're going to see he turns then and starts rejoicing over the very same thing, that their names are written in heaven. Now remember, the setting is he spent over a year in Galilee and almost universally has been rejected as the Messiah. Yes, in Galilee he was received because of the miracles that he did. And they all wanted some of that. But as far as followers of him, we see 70. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, when Jesus is crucified and raises from the dead and ascends into heaven, there are some 500 Christians in Galilee and 120 in Jerusalem. That's what he had to show for his earthly ministry when he ascended. So for the most part, it wasn't successful. He was rejected. Now remember also, he had just, they had just gone out and, and in Samaria they refused to receive him. He wasn't coming to worship the way they wanted to worship. He was headed to Jerusalem. They didn't receive him. So, so that is the, the level of success that's been happening. So now he sends these 70 out and they come back talking about the demons being subject. They come back not having been harmed. They don't come back with any testimonies of new salvations. And and so there were so few that had received the gospel message by this time, and yet Jesus rejoiced greatly 
about them having their names written in heaven. That's what he just told them. You need to rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He rejoiced. The word there is agaliao. Agaliao. And it means to exult, rejoice exceedingly, be exceedingly glad, or to celebrate. A triumphant joy. There's two words in the New Testament mainly used for rejoice. Well, there are. Cairo, or their forms, or agaliao. And Cairo is used 74 times. Agaliao is used 11 times. So this word is not used nearly as often as the other. It's a much stronger word. It's a, it's a, it's a, a more emphatic word about this rejoicing exceedingly. So, so Jesus tells them, that they should be rejoicing, and he uses the word Cairo. And then in that same hour, he, Agaliao, he rejoiced exceedingly. He exalted. We see both words in Revelations 19.7, let us rejoice, Cairo, and exult, Agaliao, and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. At the marriage celebration of the of Christ and his bride, there will be joy and exultation. There will be Agaliao. Now, I think something that's really interesting, and, and, I, and I was, as I was preparing, I second-guessed myself and triple-guessed myself, and this is the only time that Jesus rejoices. In the entire New Testament, it's the only time that we see Jesus rejoicing. Now, that's, that's meaningful to me. Like, if he's rejoicing, what he's rejoicing over, we ought to be paying attention to. So, so we see that, that, that he is rejoicing. He is agaliao. He is, he is exulting. He is, he is rejoicing with exceeding gladness. Now, again, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, we see right here. So I think it's something worth understanding and considering. He's rejoicing this exceedingly, this exceeding joy, and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. In his humanity, he was, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, Luke 3.22 the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Luke 1, or 4, 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Luke four fourteen. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So we know that Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. And we know that Luke tells us in the Holy Spirit, he rejoiced greatly. As are we empowered by the Holy Spirit, beloved. So this this great rejoicing that Christ examples, we ought be participating in as empowered by the Spirit. No matter what the circumstance, no matter the trials, the struggles, the successes, the failures, we have, we can be exceedingly glad and exulting celebrating triumphantly our salvation in Christ. 
this word agaliao we see in first peter one blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by god's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, <laughs> blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy, He's caused us to be born again. We have this, this imperable, imperishable inheritance that's being, that's being kept for us, will be revealed to us in this you, Agaliaho. In this you rejoice. You rejoice greatly, though, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The joy that we see Christ having here, and we'll look at why he had this joy, is the joy that we're to be having because our names are written in heaven. It's just building on what we saw last week, what Pastor Nick exhorted us with. We ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. Now, Jesus, our example, was a man of great sorrows, wasn't he? He was joyful one time. Now, we're to rejoice always. And the rejoicing that we do is because of what's been accomplished for us, that our names are written in heaven. We exult in this. We have great triumphant joy in our salvation. So we see Jesus here rejoicing for the only time in the New Testament. So, very important question would be, what is his exaltation based on? He's exceedingly joyful. Why? Jesus praised God for his sovereignty over souls. Jesus was exulting in those whose name were written in heaven, and God's sovereignty over their souls. Jesus was rejoicing in God's plan of redemption for his elect people. In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. I thank you, sovereign God over all creation, over heaven and earth. God in heaven, Lord of all. I thank you. That word there for thank you is exomolegeo. You've heard this word before. It's the word we talk about in James 5. It means to agree with outwardly. So it's not really thank you. It's the word exomolegeo means to agree to, acknowledge openly, openly and joyfully to one's honor. I, I say out loud in agreement with you to your honor that you have done this great thing. Jesus saying, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, and and the, the picture you have is he's, the, the 70 have come back. He's talked to them, and now he's talking to God. He's, he's speaking to God. And he says, I'm in agreement with what you've done, God, this great thing. I'm openly acknowledging my agreement with what you have done. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And that 
And here, what is it that he's done that he's so rejoicing over? What he's so glad about? What he's in agreement that God has done? That you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus was rejoicing for the only time in the New Testament, empowered by the Holy Spirit, rejoicing that God the Father had hidden. Apocrypto. To keep secret. To conceal. To cause something to remain unknown. With the implication of concealment and inaccessibility. I am joyful, Jesus says, that you have hidden these truths on the way on, on the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. You have hidden these from certain folks. I'm joyful. Exceedingly joyful. These things that you've hidden these things from, from the wise and the understanding. These things are hidden from those who have lots of wisdom and lots of understanding of their own, and they rely upon it. Matthew 23, 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They have lots of wisdom and understanding. The scribes and the Pharisees, they have lots of wisdom and understanding. They know lots of things. They sit in Moses' seat. They know lots about the law of Moses. So do and observe whatever they tell you. You should be doing what they tell you. As it will pertain to the law of Moses, but not the works they do. Do the way they tell do what they tell you. They know lots about the Bible. They know lots about God's law and Moses. Do what they tell you, but don't do what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. These wise and understanding men knew some things about God, but it didn't affect their life at all. It didn't change how they lived at all. They were relying on their own extra laws and their own uh, uh, their own rabbinical teachings, their own Mishnah, to live out their their lives and to get right with God. They relied on knowing things about God. They didn't rely on knowing God through Jesus Christ. They had no heart knowledge. They trust in their religion. Verse 21 says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Jesus is thankful that those who who think they know a lot, think they know how to be right with God outside of Him, He's thankful that He's hidden the truth from them. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness to the really wise and understanding people. You know, things like, Literal six-day creation. Many people are way too smart for that, including Tim Keller, who just passed. He was way too smart for that. Six-day creation. 
resurrection from the dead. Nobody's going to raise from the dead. I mean, I remember myself when Bill and Mark used to talk to me about these things. I was that guy. I was that guy. There's no way anybody's raising from the dead. Come on. We know evolution is true. What are you morons talking about? I was way too smart for that. You know, my, my, my theology or my, my God was myself. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to die. And I'm going to cease to exist. And I know that. So stop talking to me. Being made a new creation. Show it to me. Prove to me how you can make someone a new creation. It's foolishness. And, and Jesus is saying, I thank you, God. I'm in agreement with this great thing you've done in hiding these truths of the kingdom of God from these people. College professors, they're just way too smart. Really successful business people, they're just, they got it all together. Politicians who know how to run the world, they, they, they're too smart for this foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you who are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I'm thankful, God. I agree with this great thing you've done in hiding the truth from these people, these proud people, these people that are proud of their wisdom and their knowledge. 1 Corinthians 3, let no one deceive, 18, let no one deceive himself. Anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Jesus is exalting the fact that God has hidden the kingdom of heaven from these wise and, and, and understanding people that are so smart that what you're talking about is foolishness. And they're so good. I can do good enough. I can be good enough. I am good enough. I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise understanding and revealed them to little children. That you have revealed apocalypto, to make known, make manifest, disclose what before was unknown. I'm ex I am, I am, I am, I am praising you, God. I'm in agreement with this great thing you've done to make known, make manifest the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone to the simple-minded. The message of sin and repentance and forgiveness, that, that foolish message that you've made that known, you've revealed that to little children, the word nepias. Small child, a small child above the age of a helpless infant, but probably not more than three or four years of age. The language that he's using here, that Jesus uses, is that of a toddler, what we would call a toddler. Not an infant, but, but less than three or four years old. 
Think about our children that are less than three or four years old. When they're just learning, they believe anything you tell them. They have a they have a they have a belief in what you tell them to be true without really questioning it. They don't they're not too smart. Look, you tell a two year old that Jesus was raised from the dead, they'll believe that. They have no reason to not believe that. You tell them that Santa Claus exists, they'll believe you. They just have this this innocence about them. (laughs) The older they get, the more they know. And they start to know better, don't they? Now all of a sudden they want to question anything you tell them. Right? (laughs) They get to be 8, 9, 10, 20, 24, 28, 29, 35. They start to question what you tell them. They no longer... And this is, and Jesus says, I am, I'm in agreement with this great thing you've done to hide from those who think they know and reveal to those who know they don't know. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy places and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God has revealed the kingdom of heaven, the truth of who he is, who they are, who Jesus is, and where their only hope must lie. He has revealed that to those who have a childlike faith, those who aren't too smart, that this isn't foolishness. What is he What is he so... Joyful about this glorious doctrine of election. That's what, that's what he is so excited about. He's praising God for the only time in the New Testament because God, you have a plan. And your plan was to hide from the wise and understanding the truth of entry into the kingdom of heaven and to reveal that to the lowly of mind and spirit. God's revealed his kingdom to those with a childlike faith in Christ and hidden it from those who are just too smart that this foolishness doesn't make any sense. They're too good. They're too accomplished. They're just too intelligent. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Gracious will. He's exulting in God's gracious will. Eudokia. Will, choice, delight, desire. Jesus rejoicing that God reveals reveals Jesus to whom he wants. According to his gracious will. Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom Eucodia, whom he is pleased that, that he desires his gracious will to be poured out upon them. This is the wonderful doctrine of election. The will of God is what Jesus is exulting in. God's will to reveal soul-saving knowledge to some, but not to others. The gracious will of God 
to reveal the truths of the kingdom of heaven to some and not to others. And it's the only time Jesus rejoices in the entire New Testament. And this is what he's rejoicing over. See, the same reality highlighted in Ephesians 1. This is Paul writing exactly of this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, his elect, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He predestined us. He, 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 he hid from some and revealed to others according to his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. According to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he lavished upon us, Uh, which with thee bless us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have attained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. This is what Jesus is so rejoicing in. God reveals to some and hides from others Christ Himself to be able to see Christ. And he does that according to his own gracious will. To the praise of his glorious grace. Who's going to praise God for the doctrine of election? His people. Who's going to hate him for it? Those who are man-centered and don't want God to get the glory. Jesus Christ is exulting in God's sovereignty over who he hides it from and who he reveals it to. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then, and then Jesus rejoices now in, in his part in God's sovereign control over souls. He goes on in verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. What all things? Well, they're all things, but including and pointing to here the saving of souls via the revelation of the truth that, that, that changes a heart. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. He's exulting. He's agreeing with. He's saying this great thing you've done. Some you hide it from most and some you reveal it to. And I'm being used in that process. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. No one knows who the Son is. No one can know Jesus except for the Father. 
No one can know who the Father is except for the Son. No one can know God the Father except for God the Son. So no one can know God the Son, and no one can know God the Father except for the other person of the Trinity. And to anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So who can know God the Father? Jesus Christ, God the Son, and anyone He chooses to reveal God the Father to. Jesus is exceedingly joyful about this this symbiotic relationship, the unity of Him and His Father the deity that they shared, the fact that all things have been handed over to him by his Father and that he was being used in the salvation and the redemption of his people. All things have been handed over to me, my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, Jesus reveals to his people who God is. How did he do that? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One fourteen, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of, of glory as of the son, only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God the Son, the Word, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is how he's revealed the Father to us. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. Jesus exegetes God. Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, came and made known to people God the Father. And that's the only way. The Son and the Father, um, working together along with the Holy Spirit to save souls. John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent, sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 65, And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. This is what Jesus is rejoicing in. The salvation of souls that is sovereignly ordained by the Father, and He is doing the work to redeem them as authority was given to Him by the Father. And He's rejoicing. He's looking at these 70 and says, I thank you, God, that you have hidden from wise and understanding people and revealed them to little children. In Matthew's accounting of this same, it says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal it. Okay, the same conversation there we see we see God's sovereignty over salvation we see the doctrine of election and then Matthew's gospel the very next words out of Jesus mouth are this come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. (laughs) He is rejoicing in God's sovereignty over the salvation of souls, and then he makes a call to come. And who hears that call? Everyone within his voice. And who comes? Only those the Father's given him. Only those that God has, has revealed who he is to them. You see, I know people who the doctrine of election is the stumbling block they use to not believe on Christ. Well, God has to do it, and if God's not going to do it, it's his problem. No, it's your problem, and I'm calling you to repent and faith in Jesus Christ. What, who Jesus is talking to is these 70 in front of these 70, saying, God, I praise you for the doctrine of election. Look here. I praise you for the doctrine of election. Look here and here and here and here and here. Praise God. Praise God He has chosen to reveal to some. Rejoice in that. Jesus is rejoicing in the salvation of souls, just like He's telling these 70, that's what you should rejoice in, that your names are written in heaven. I am rejoicing in that God has revealed to some. And I am am rejoicing in that He's hidden it from others to the praise of His glorious grace. Remember, Jesus is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are all folly to him and is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Spirit of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all combining to bring about salvation of souls. And Jesus is rejoicing. Even the gospel is veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of the world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see Christ for who He is because the spirit of the age, the devil has blinded them because the devil is God's devil. And over here, He's removing scales from eyes. And I praise God for it. Colossians 1.13 This is for us, beloved. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is what Jesus is rejoicing in. God's sovereignty over the salvation of souls and the condemnation of souls. Jesus is is rejoicing greatly in this reality. That God is revealing who He is to some. And to others, He's hiding it. And they're blind to Him. Jesus is God manifested, exegeted to the world. And, and Jesus will show the way to the Father to those whom the Father has given Him. And we praise God for that. We are led by the Spirit of God to rejoice 
in our salvation, that our names are written in heaven because God, in His gracious will, allowed me to see and allowed you to see. So, so get the picture. Jesus, the 70 have come back. They've had some success. They're all excited about that. And he says, it's not what you should be rejoicing in. You should be rejoicing that your names are in heaven. And then he turns and he speaks to God. And he, and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. He says these things to God. And then he turns to the disciples and says privately. The word privately there, idios, his own, one's own. He says to them about them. So he turns from talking to God. This is what they're witnessing. And they're seeing this joy. This exceeding joy that they haven't seen any other time. This, this extraordinary exaltation. They're seeing this and then he turns to them, them and talks to them about them. He said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So he turns away from talking to God. He turns to these seven. He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Cal, Brenda, Casey, Tony. Blessed are your eyes that see what you see. Blessed. Makarios. Blessed. Happy. A happiness reserved only for the gods in the Greek language. Happiness that come that can only come from and through God. Blessed are you. Blessed are the eyes that see. You are blessed. You are happy in a godly manner because your eyes see. Blepo, to see, to understand, to perceive. You see Christ, but you don't just see Christ. You perceive, you understand. You 70, you understand you are so blessed that God has revealed to you me. Your eyes can see. You are so blessed. You are among the elect. You have had the full revelation of who I am. You are blessed. Look around. In all of Galilee, there's 70 of you. Brothers and sisters, look around. In all the quad cities, how many are there that truly have seen Christ for who He is? And then think about, you're one of those. Wow. With exceeding joy, I am praising God for His sovereignty over souls. Look around. Look around your extended families. Not for one second should this doctrine of election make you feel anything but humbled, thankful, and blessed. Never to look down your nose at someone else, continuing to patiently give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, call them to repentance and faith. 
He says, you're so blessed. He turns from God and he turns to them. He says, you're so blessed for your eyes to see what they see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, uh, Habakkuk, none of them got to see. They prophesied and never saw what you've seen. Blessed. The full revelation of God to be found in Jesus Christ from that moment when he came to earth and then when he was crucified and buried and ascended to heaven. Now now we have seen, the, the earth has seen, people have seen what these prophets never saw. The kings, the good kings of Judah, the kings with all their power and authority, they never saw what you see or hear what you've heard. These prophets were prophesying about the Christ that you now see. The full revelation, the full story of salvation to be found in Jesus Christ, it's all there. How blessed you are. How blessed you are. 1 Peter 1, 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he, he predicted the sufferings of Christ in the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. How blessed are you to hear the things you hear, see the things you see. The prophets and the kings, they didn't even see it or hear it. Old Testament prophets and saints, Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They died without experiencing the fullness of the gospel. They looked forward in faith to, to something that were to come. Then it, he has come. How blessed are you to, to see and to hear. How thankful should you be, how joyful should you be that God has revealed to you as one who's not so wise and understanding that you don't need Him, has revealed to you the the desperation, your sin, your, your sin against a holy God, the repentance necessary, faith to believe on Christ and forgiveness of those sins. And the Spirit living in you to live by His commands joyfully. Jesus was rejoicing greatly. Praising God for His sovereignty over soul. His plan of hiding the truth from the proud and giving salvation to those who had humility and desperation. Reminding them how blessed they were to have eyes to see. Closing thought. Led by the Holy Spirit. Led by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that indwells every believer in here. Led by the same Holy Spirit that indwells every believer in here. 
Jesus rejoiced in the sovereign will of the Father over salvation. He, he rejoiced in God's sovereign will over, the, over salvation. That he rejoiced in that God revealed to some Christ. And to others, he, it was hidden. And he also, Jesus rejoiced in the great blessing of the saints who have seen the kingdom of heaven. May we be led by the Holy Spirit to exult in the same. What great joy it ought bring us to know that God before time began, predestined you to be someone who would hear and see Christ and believe on Him. And we can come right alongside our King Jesus to rejoice greatly in that reality in our lives. Just further emphasizing the point He made that it's nothing about anything we accomplish here or any of the failures we have here. This isn't where we find our joy. We find our joy in, the, in God's sovereign plan for our salvation because of His gracious will, according to the glory, His glorious grace. God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be predestined to the praise of His glorious grace. It was Him who did it. And Jesus is celebrating the only time he celebrates in the whole New Testament. The only time he has exceeding joy. Now, God is joy. But this is the only time you see it manifest where people see it and it's written about. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to be by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Christ, God the Son, has revealed God the Father to you, beloved. To me. And that's the only way we can know God, is through Christ. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. By extension, he's telling that to y'all, us all. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You are blessed. Be Joyful, be exceedingly joyful in God's plan of salvation for you that he revealed to you. Be thankful. And, and, and then that will, that will manifest itself in a life of, of how else can we do anything but follow Christ in serving the God who saved us. And, and, and pleading with anyone we are in contact to do the same. See Christ. Show them Christ. Beg them to see Christ. 
All of you who don't know Christ, see Christ. He is the forgiveness for your sins. You have no other hope. Confess Christ and live. Father, thank you again for this wonderful gospel of Luke. Thank you for the truths that it continues to bring to us. Thank you that every verse and every chapter continues to point us to to your goodness and your mercy that is found in Christ alone. Thank you, Father, for the joy that was modeled for us by Christ in the flesh. The joy over your authority, your sovereignty, your control, your ownership of all souls. And thank you, Father, that you have graciously willed that your elect people be saved and will spend eternity in heaven with you in all of your glory. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go to hymn 141, Lift High the Name of Jesus. 141, Lift High the Name of Jesus.